Hello and welcome to yet another episode of An Unqualified Guide to the Good Life, the show where we try to work out what it means to live well despite having no qualifications to do so. My name is Adam and with me, as always, my friend and yours, it's Nick, no longer the Bard of Geneva, but rather the Bard of Milton Keynes. Yeah, it's as glorious as it sounds. Actually, pretty beautiful environment, quite rural, where I happen to be. Hmm. Loads of nice places to walk. If, in theory, you were allowed to leave the house, which I'm not, because I'm quarantining, <laughs> given that I'm a new Swiss arrival. Yeah, they, they got you. They got you locked down. Um, how are you, Nick? How are you enduring the final few days of your um, lockdown? I'm, I'm not too bad. I'm growing more and more dejected with the state of world politics in general and the UK government in particular. But uh, beyond that, it's nice to spend time with family. And, um, you know, who, who needs to be outside when you have television? Uh, this is what I've always said. Um, I can see it all. I can see it all on screens. Exactly. You know, there's an Our Planet episode for every country on Earth. Um, and also, Nick, there's another consideration exactly. for, for how to, to brighten your day. And that is, uh, happy birthday to you for tomorrow. Huh? Turning 24, big dog Nick. Um, now. Uh, yeah, actually, no, my, my uncle told me yesterday that this year doesn't count because it's gone to <laughs> shit. So I've actually not aged, which is pretty convenient. It's the best thing to come out of this <laughs> year, to be honest. I'm still 23. Absolutely. For absolutely. another year. Um, I have now, another Nick. full year of being 23. Well, that's convenient because it oh, really you. lowers the bar. Um, you're welcome. Now, a good podcast host would have prepared um, a surprise, but I didn't. So, here we are. Okay, just that's okay. Nick, tell us Let about me... what we're doing and what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, yes, and um, I mean, now this is season two, the beginning of season two, and as you can see, we're still working yeah. on our intros. We're nearly there, but uh, we're really starting to get put together some some smooth, smooth content. Which, uh, you know, I have to say, Adam, despite the fact that you've done this intro now over 20 times, you just keep getting better at it. So, you know, I, I want to thank you for thank your you. professionalism. But, uh, yeah, welcome to season two of An Unqualified Guide to the Good Life. If you've been with us since season one, then um, you you already anticipated this shambles of a beginning. But if you're new, bear with us, it will get better. We do have a plan for content and we're currently manifesting it. So we are now engaging on episode one of a perspective 10 for this season, which has the overarching theme of virtue. Because sometime in the last few weeks, both Adam and I decided that it might be time to start trying to be good people and start trying to lead good lives. And uh, for as long as that yeah. plan lasts, we're going to discuss it with you, debate it with you, perhaps debate it with others too. Maybe we've got some guests lined up. Don't quote me on that. But it is... You know. I hope so. Anyway. I, I enjoy having guests. It's less pressure on me. Yeah. As, <laughs> as did I. Um, but uh, with this new sense of organization and focus... We also have a theme for each individual episode, which we don't need to reveal to you now. You don't care, you're going to forget as soon as I tell you anyways. But as it happens, today's episode, the first introductory episode on the topic of virtue, will center around the notion of 
doing good and how it is that we define doing good, i.e. what is it that defines a good act? Uh, what is it that was, what, uh, is it what results of it? Is it the intention behind it? Is it its conformity to absolute principles? Is it a combination of all of these things? Is it an adaptable fluid relation between them? What are the different ways in which philosophers the world over and lazy, unemployed podcasters the world over have sought to define as a good act? Are you talking about, um, me and you, or or other um, lazy unemployed podcasters. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, I mean, if 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 we f- if we fell under that racket, that was entirely coincidental. Oh, I see, I see. Um, yes, yeah. that is true. And um, after we've we've finished our ten episode run on virtue, we will be doing ten more around themes of ambition, mind, body, and spirit. But for now, uh, let's get some quotes in to get the ball rolling on the theme of virtue and doing good and, and what it means to do good um uh nick you start you start give us a quote give us a quote what have you got written down for us <laughs> great so i'm going to elaborate on uh, intentionalism and consequentialism and before you ask what my qualifications are for this this is an unqualified guide and also a philosophy minor that i did very poorly in now <laughs> i'm going to start with intentionalism and provide a couple quotes with that and i'm going to provide a pretty Famous quote, um, so famous is a cliche, probably even a little bit cheesy, but that is that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And uh, alternatively phrased, that hell is full of good meanings, but heaven is full of good works, right? And so this already problematizes for us the notion of intentionalism, right? Yeah. And um, what it is that that can mean and what its limitations are. Now, to define intentionalism as a philosophy for understanding what something, where something is good, it's rather than looking at, say, the consequence of an action or the nature of that action, we are instead looking at the intention of the individual carrying out a specific action in order to ascertain the value of an action, right? So if someone means well... Right. Then, then perhaps there is a certain inherent value to an action, you know? And I think there is some truth to that, but perhaps there are also some limitations uh, there, certainly. Uh, for one thing, it provides a greater focus on, on the individual than the outcome, right? The outcome is uh, not as important or really not important at all in pure intentionalism, right? Instead, the focus is primarily just on the individual carrying out the action and whether or not they... Uh, they, they, they mean well. And, you know, how, how we can even seek to try and define that. You know, for instance, if you're trying to help someone and you accidentally burn their house down, well, the fact that you did well is worth something. Um, and, you know, that would be the focus well, of an intentionalist pursuit. Is, of- <laughs> is it, though? Is it? I mean, there comes a point when the, where, the, where the consequences do outweigh any intentions. Like, if you intended to, um, uh, uh, you know, g- give your mother some, some lovely hand-picked flowers for, for Mother's Day, that's great. If what you actually did was um, tear up the last remaining flower of some vital species which led to the extinction of all bees and thereafter the extinction of all human life, that's not... I wouldn't say picking the flowers was still a good act. Uh, no, maybe not, but the way in which we classified the act would still take into consideration your intention, which is why, for instance, we have a distinction between manslaughter and murder in most quotes. Mm. Mm. Right? 
So even though both of those resulted in the death of an individual, manslaughter acknowledges that the intention was not to kill, but that that was the resulting outcome. And usually, therefore, the punishment is lighter. Or should be. And that would be a claim substantiated and supported by intentionalism. Yes. So, yeah, so um, obviously that is a pretty extreme example, but um, that is quite illustrative of what it can look like. And uh, there are a couple of other things which are important, I think, and worth mentioning. Obviously, this is not um, an exhaustive study, but just an introductory uh, presentation on some of its key core concepts. And uh, I think one of the things which intentionalism also does do is that it gratifies the human focus on the will, right? We like to think that our decisions, our intentions are meaningful, right? We always set intentions, you know, we set ourselves objectives and through intention or will, which could be said to be similar or at least related to one another, if not referring to the same identical human propulsion, um, as, as, as important. They give, give a sense of significance to what we're doing because intentionalism suggests that what people want and what people are trying to do is worth considering when we when we try and uh, serve out justice or try and understand the logic of human action and its consequences. I suppose that's true. Well, this makes sense because uh, I mean, free will is is the basis of of the justice system in itself, right? Like, without free mm. will, having a justice system is is nonsense. Mm. Um, and therefore, intention has to has to play into it by by sort of logical necessity, I suppose. Even if, um, yeah. but but as you say, sometimes you know the uh, the the circumstances, uh, the the outcome does outweigh I- intention. So how does how do intentionalists uh, resolve that that particular quandary? Where the where the outcome outweighs the 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 intention. Yes. Um, well, I think they, I think they acknowledge that, um, there are limitations to taking a purely intentionalist approach. And I think that most, um, uh, moderate, balanced, uh, moral philosophers will take intentionalism in consideration with other ideas, right? That's what will be demanded of, for instance, a judge, right? They will, they yeah. will take intentionalism alongside consequentialism. Right. So, but, but for the purpose of the philosophical debate and for trying to understand these concepts, they're worth isolating, but their, their, okay. their isolation definitely highlights their inadequacies and why it is that we need to put them next to each other or allow them to work cooperatively to give us a fuller picture of the human condition, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That, that all tracks. This is, this makes sense. I'm with you. <laughs> Good. So far, so good. So, um, I mean, that, that's, that's really a very basic uh, idea on intentionalism, but it, it, it gives you the gist of it, I hope. And, um, as Adam has mentioned, you know, does simply wanting to do good, um, surmount achieving bad. Um, and, yeah. but, you know, and, and by that same idea, does simply wanting to do good amount to actually doing good? You know, um, if we're talking purely about intentionalism, when we, how do we distinguish between, oh man, I really want to make a difference between actually going out and making a difference or actually going through the motions of trying to make a difference? You know, how do we distinguish wanting to do good versus actually trying to do good? You know, what does intentionalism have to say about that? I think that's also an interesting distinction. It's like, are we good just because we think good things or because we try and implement those good things? 
you know, but at what point does it become consequentialism? You know, if we try and isolate intentionalism, where do we draw the boundary? And, uh, and yeah, and the, and the final other point of contention, which I really want to draw with regards to intentionalism is, is what actually qualifies as good intention. You know, how do we, how do we define that to begin with? You know, is it a virtue based consideration? Um, and then also, you know, what is, what, what about when people's intentions are not only, um, you know, admittedly the future is hard to predict. And, and so sometimes you wish you would, you want to do the right thing and, and you don't end up doing so. But what happens when you act well based off misinformation, for instance, you know, when you're, right, yeah. when you're, when you're say being manipulated, um, or you don't have the full scope of the idea, you know, um, are you to blame for not being rightly informed? Um, are you still a good person, even though you're acting, um, even though your inf- even though your information is being manipulated and siphoned off by an individual with more sinister intentions? You know, um, yeah. possibly these are tricky questions. They're certainly not ones that I'm going to resolve now, but um, they're there for you to ponder. Well, on then, if you would what like are you to. what are you for, Nick? <laughs> if you're not going to resolve these for? philosophical <laughs> quandaries for us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're just taking 10 episodes to solve philosophy, basically. <laughs> Never yeah, mind I mean, 3,000 years. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, no, so to move right. on to consequentialism, which is the flip side of, of intentionalism, um, what, where, um, what if you do bad things but achieve good outcomes? You know, sure. um, is, is that okay? Essentially, consequentialism is the idea that um, rather than judging off intention, we judge off consequence. You know, the clue is really in the name um and uh and sometimes uh, philosophy yeah, is mean, efficient that, that way <laughs> sometimes yeah i mean they're not very creative philosophers <laughs> no, <laughs> they wouldn't have given it an abstract literary name um but that's no, that's useful for that. orienting ourselves um yeah but uh yeah, I think one thing that I particularly struggle with when it comes to consequentialism is um, how do we gauge consequence? How far forward? You know, you, you've heard of the butterfly effect, Adam? Of course, yeah. Butterfly yeah, so, flaps so, its know, wings and um, tropical storms emerge. Those damn butterflies. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, uh, all, all changes have a ri- all, all, all actions have a ripple effect, you know, um, out into the world and, yeah. and the ripples dim the further out they go but you know um who's to say where the consequences of one's actions stop you know just because you 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 input your act into the world and that affects people's behavior around you which in turn affects other things around you which in turn affect other things are those still the consequences of that act of yours or where do you stop you know when it comes to that is there an arbitrariness to that and 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 then you know uh, identifying what, uh, how to measure consequence, you know? So, um, if we look at, for instance, utilitarianism, which is the pre- maybe the most, uh, famous consequentialist theory of good, right? Mm-hmm. Which basically has as a slogan, the greatest good for the greatest number, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which was coined by Jeremy Bentham, who was a legal reformer, actually. So this, you know, comes from the justice system. Um, he, he basically determined consequence based, based off pain and pleasure, right? For individuals. And so it put, um, the, trying to create a scale for how we measure actions as causing the most pain or the most pleasure for the, for people, you know, but how do you measure pain yeah. and pleasure, you know? 
And then, and then John Stuart Mill took this idea, ran further with it, and talked about the quality of pain and pleasure, and so ranking the different degrees of pain and pleasure that you can feel affected by. You know, but again, how do you measure su- such things? You know, and now maybe we want to talk about um, you know monetary consequence. You know, whether people are better off for actions or this and that. Yeah. No, I, I mean absolutely. Uh, to, to give. Um... Well, I, I think I think the term ben, Bentham used was hedonic calculus, right? Which is um, which is which is yeah, a, fun, a fun kind of term, um, and I, I do I do think that's interesting. The, the the sort of obvious counter to it is of uh, I can't remember who who came up with this, but there's the idea of the utility monster, right? Hmm. And that's where if there was uh, such a such a being as um, that it got so much pleasure, so much more pleasure than you for uh, than everyone on earth for sort of taking all of the good things in the world, then it would be the ethical thing to do to give these things to that that monster. Um, and to put it in a in a yeah. more sort of uh, or a less sort of obtuse way, um, as Chidi from The Good Place did, uh, if we accept <laughs> that good and evil is just calculus, you can excuse any number of of a horrific acts, right? Um, mm. Like, should a doctor yeah, um, kill one healthy person to use the organs to save five sick people? Right, that that fits into the um, sort of the sort of hedonic calculus yeah. in that way. And it's I think I think you raise a very interesting. Yeah. It is cold-hearted and sort of often very removed from from human experience. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that that it's interesting what you say about knowing where where consequences uh, come from and how they develop. There's a something I read about the other day, which is, is quite quite a light-hearted way and, and free from sort of uh, moral implications of, of just showing how far consequences stretch, which was about um, railway gauges right. in America, right? The gauge is the distance between two tracks. And it's, I, I can't remember the exact measurement, say it's, um, I don't know, a metre and a half or something like that. And uh, they said, why mm-hmm. is it a metre and a half? And they said, well, it's because in England it was, it was a metre and a half. And, and the English built the first railroads in America. Okay, why was it a metre and a half in England? Um, well, it's because before there were railways, they had these tracks where they manually pushed mining carts on. That's how, how wide they were apart in this case. Okay, well, why was that that width? And it goes all the way back to the Romans. And the Romans had um, wow. their carts that wide. And the reason the gauge on Roman carts was that wide was because that was the average width of two horses' rear ends together. So (laughs) railway gauges in modern America are based on the size of two Roman horse asses, basically, Um, you know, 2,000 years ago or whatever. So, yeah, how far do the consequences go, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, you could, you can. So you can co- cause and effect. You know, you can abstract backwards so far, um, just unendingly, basically, and 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 same thing going forwards. You know. Yeah. Um, it's 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 pretty endless if you if you wish it to be. So definitely the the main issue I think with consequentialism, or the main two issues that I can identify, are actually def- defining consequence and and gauging it, um, attributing different value or criteria for it. And, um, and then also the sort of the, the, the detachment from human experience, you know, it, it seems to go so far against yeah. the notion of inherent goodness and virtue and morality that's kind of predominant in like Christian ethic and morality, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, but, but that being said, despite those two things, one of the things which it does do, which intentionalism does not, and is actually a 
perhaps a knock on intentionalism, is that it focuses on the community above the individual. And so it forces our moral agenda to be opened towards others, because consequentialism is about how our acts affect others rather than whether or not we intended good as individuals. And those are two very, very different concepts. And I think pairing those together is essential, but focusing too much on consequentialism can feel lifeless and focusing too much on intentionalism can feel egocentric and a bit navel-gazing. Definitely. Yes. Um, And... And I suppose yeah, the the the, the key then is, is working out how to, how to balance these these two things. Mm, mm, for sure, for sure. And you know, in some cases, you in some cases, you know, you find yourself as an individual. That's that's most often what you do. You know, you, you tell yourself, uh, well, uh, I would like to achieve this goal, which is trying to anticipate consequence. You know, so I'm going to try and do this, which is trying to do the right thing. You know, you might find yourself trying to do a balance. Um, that, you know, m- maybe you will say like, oh, maybe I'm just the the, the means justify the, the ends, you know, the ends justify the means rather, uh, and that would be a consequentialist approach. Or maybe you'll say, like, I'm going to yeah. never lie no matter what, you know, where you're just acting on principle. Um, you but, would be a terrible uh, I think, I think... person if you never lied no matter what. <laughs> really, well, I, mean, I know that was, that was Kant's that. whole thing, but, like, you should, you should lie sometimes. <laughs> Lying isn't always <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah, I probably would agree with that. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so there, there that, you have well, it. I mean, that's uh, some thoughts I, on I intentionalism and consequentialism. And, and to help, uh, yeah, to help, help us make these choices between, um, you know, our, our intentions and, and our consequences, society has created certain representations of, of individuals who are, who are supposed to embody uh, sort of high moral status of doing good. Right, and I'm of course mm. talking about superheroes, which is the topic about which I wish to discuss with you today. Of course, of course. Um, now, superheroes. Uh, the, yeah, well, let's just temper those expectations. No, it'll be great. I'm trying to bring positivity <laughs> into the podcast because I want people to enjoy it. Manifest. Um, manifest. Man- manifest exactly uh so superheroes you might think that this is a, a relatively r- a recent idea the sort of first superhero uh, comic books came from 1930s north america but actually we, we see the same archetype going back back a long way you could say that heracles in in ancient greece was was sort of a superhero right he, he literally had had the, i mean the term was demigod but he had these powers mm. um, that were beyond mere mortals, and he was seen as sort of a more courageous, more virtuous, more brave, more this, more that, capable of incredible feats, and, and responsible for protecting people as well. Um, and and even earlier, I think the Epic of Gilgamesh has some some claim for for that that as well um, about seeking right. seeking immortality. Um, so it goes a long way, and we hold up these heroes as sort of. Yeah, bastions of of doing good, even though individual storylines obviously paint it as quite grey. And mm. but this this leads to some some interesting problems, right? And and one that I came across actually in in Crash Course Philosophy, I think it's episode thirty six, uh, which was about utilitarianism. They posed the question: Should Batman kill the Joker? Right, because Batman's Batman has a hard and fast rule in fighting crime that he's not going to kill. Um, right. And so he he defeats the Joker time and time again, and he always throws him back into Arkham Asylum. But the thing is, Batman knows the Joker yeah. can escape from it's, Arkham Asylum, and he knows the Joker is going to it's kill. It's all very Sisyphus. Again. 
It's all very Sisyphus. But that means that after a while, with Batman not killing the Joker, does Batman become complicit in the murder of the of people that the Joker kills after he escapes from Arkham again? Mm. Um, and I think that's an interesting question that there isn't necessarily resolution to. Um, and actually, uh, re- in researching into this, I I, uh, I came across a thought experiment from from a guy called Bernard Williams, who essentially as as a critique of utilitarianism um suggested this thought experiment that you're you're in uh it's colonial times and you're on you're on a botanical expedition through through uh through through some rainforest and you come across a group of colonial officials about to execute 20 indigenous people for for protesting colonial rule and the the highest ranking officer of of the colonial guard says to you, a, a well-meaning botanist who just happened to stumble onto this scene, if you shoot one of these men, we will let the other 19 go free. Now, mm. the utilitarian argument is that you should kill that man every time, but what kind you of should. a... Yeah, a, you a mo- shoot every a, time. But, but what kind of a moral system it requires people to take to kill innocent people in order to be good that that seems that just doesn't really track right that that seems there's something deeply grating and problematic about that um yeah and and the the podcast didn't really come up with a solution to this except mentioning the difference between act utilitarianism and and rule utilitarianism right and the idea the sort Mm. of distinction is um whereas act utilitarianism is greatest pleasure for the greatest number in that moment rule utilitarianism is saying you rule utilitarianism says well hold on if you can't go around shooting people in the street even though it might things better in the moment so over time it will be better if people adhere to a few rules ethically because knowing that these rules adhere to will be better in the long run rather than the short run yeah but this doesn't really help with superheroes well, you do, Batman you do talk should about, probably kill the Joker. You, you do talk about <laughs> um, what kind of a moral system would allow for people who kill to be heroes. But, I mean, uh, you know, that's how we think of the military now. You know? Well, or, some or of particularly us. Say, say, yeah, well, <laughs> some of us, yeah. <laughs> how, how, say, for instance, America treats its military. You know, um, or how we think of yeah. our veterans, perhaps. You know, that might be a more poignant example there. You know, it's um, do we, you know, should we not think of the soldiers who fought in World War Two and defeated the Nazis as heroes, even though you know some of them are mass murderers? Yeah. Well, I think that I'm not going to um, I'm not going to to comment on. Current, but the 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 uh, relative heroic scale of of current armed forces because um, I'm not I'm not suicidal online, um, and it's it's I think it's with the level of preparedness I have not possible to do it with the sort of consideration and care that it requires. However, yeah. I will say this: um, I, I read an, a medium article by a guy called um, Andre Mason who argued that that superhero is is the model by which we create an idealized person for for children to look up to right 
And one mm. of these, one of the most popular superheroes, was it started out life explicitly as a piece of military propaganda, and that's Captain America. Right. Um, he, like, the early Captain America comics was just him punching Hitler. That was sort of it. Um, <laughs> I didn't but, know that. Yeah. But, and I think what I'm about to say applies to military as well, superheroes are flawed, right? They are... They still do... Um, evil things on occasion or bad things anyway um and and perhaps even a better example of that is to go beyond superheroes and look at heracles right the archetypical hero he killed his family admittedly it was in a uh stupor that was induced by by the gods but he's he's had troubled life as have many greek heroes greek heroes killed people all the time yeah. and i think and so Andre Mason doesn't address this in his, his article about superheroes being people we look up to. But I think that it's, it's this deep need for, to know that, you know, as humans we are flawed and we, sometimes we do bad things whether we mean to or not. And I think it's deeply psychologically important for people to know that, okay, I've done bad things but I can still be a good person. Um, and that mm. I think is what the, the notion of a flawed hero does for us, right? Like you can, see, and, and I think in a way that that perhaps re, um, resolves some of the tension within within viewing, you know, reconciling killing is wrong and and uh, military personnel as as being heroes. Um, in that, you know, some you can you can do bad things and, and still be a good person. Um, of course. Yeah, and so and, yeah, I would I would say that, and, and I think that's a that's a, a lovely statement to wrap things up with, and and I will add to that that also you know we find ourselves living in a a capitalist system where perhaps even as good people we contribute to a bad somewhere you know um, by by oh, buying into yeah that's the, always true the global capitalist. Um, chain of, of, of supply and um, by participating in the economy and fulfilling whatever role in that that we inhabit and uh, you know I will, I will leave that there because that is actually what we are going to elaborate on uh, next week you know doing, doing good and being good on a, on a micro versus a macro scale and how, and how we can reconcile those two ideas which, which really feed off what you're saying that um, you know um, doing some doing some bad is, is not uh, is not uh, destructive, but neither is doing some good um, conclusive. <laughs> it's a continuous process. Yes, it's 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 an it is an aim without an end. Um, yes. But to that note, uh, if I may conclude with unusually conclude with a quote um, Go on. from from friend of the show Marcus Aurelius, um, <laughs> super pa- friend patron of the show. saint of the show. Yeah, he's a, he's our patron saint. He's I a think. patron saint. I like um, that a lot. Marcus Aurelius said, waste no more time arguing about what it means to be a good man. Be one. Beautiful. And uh, let's leave it at that. Let's take his advice and not argue any further. Yes, yes. That sounds good. Um, Nick? Adam? Before we, we move on to the fun facts, do you have anything you want to promote? No, I think uh, I think our second season is is off to a start that I'm happy with, and I think it's going to get better as we go along. I'm very excited 
for this topic in particular to think about virtue and doing good and being good, particularly in a time where things are so tumultuous. So I'm really clinging to these conversations and the thinking that goes yeah. into them and extends out of them. So, um, yeah, really, really promoting this. But if people have gotten this far, then, uh, then, uh, I think, I think they're solved. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, yes, please. If you enjoyed this show, uh, leave us a review. That really, that really makes us feel good. Um, if you have any questions or queries or comments about what we've talked about in this show, please let us know. Um, I, I, especially about, uh, the role of military personnel. Um, I think that that is a topic which requires very careful consideration that perhaps, uh, we did not do particularly delicately. Um, but, but I would be interested if anyone has any views on that. Um, other than that, yeah, if you, if you want to, if you want more, uh, more experiments in the good life that I do a YouTube channel called Adam on Earth where I talk about these kind of things. And um, go and go and check that out. I just did a video about ambition. It's pretty good too. Thanks, thanks. Nick, cleanse my palate, redeem us, clean the air. <laughs> right. Well, taking after uh, the, the the tradition that we established in season one of an unqualified guide to the good life, uh, we like to close off the show by. Um, uh, selecting one one really random fact that uh, we refer to as a palate cleanser that allows us to um, wash ourselves of the uh, intricate philosophical debates that we've been engaged in and uh, gently land back into the real world. And um, I, I only... Uh, Wanted to keep it real brief. You know, I've been doing some research on animals. I'm growing more and more fascinated with the natural world. I hope one day to replace David Attenborough. Should I outlive <laughs> him? Um, it's unlikely. But <laughs> but uh, I've discovered today that uh, an octopus is a really fascinating creature. <laughs> and that although it comes in all different shapes and sizes, uh, most octopuses, octopi, I don't know what the plural is, octopuses. Uh, um, actually, it's octopodes, because it's Greek. Well, there you go. Um, that's my fun yeah. fact. <laughs> no, uh, they have no bones. Uh, they have blue blood. And, um, but more importantly, blue. they have three different hearts. Yeah, three different what hearts. For? One of them, one of it to pump blood to its organs. And um, the other two to to run the gills, and oh. uh, the heart that pumps blood to the organs doesn't function when they swim, so they get tired very quickly, which is why they prefer to crawl, which is why they usually live on the seabed. Yeah. That is fascinating, and thank you very much for sharing that. Um, animals also uh, feature in my fact. Um, but that's not the main focus. I spent much of last week in Leeds visiting a friend um, right. at John for Nude on Instagram for some wonderful screen prints. Um, and l I was looking up facts about Leeds. And I came across this doozy. Now, just listen to this. I will elaborate afterwards. Leeds had rooftop grazing sheep who helped invent the lift. What? Say that again. Leeds had rooftop grazing <laughs> sheep who helped invent the lift. Okay, so I did hear that correctly. Yeah, so this is from a website called leedslist.com, and there's a building in Leeds called the Temple Works, right? It's a grade one listed building, and it used to be a flax mill. 
Um, it had kind of a, an ancient Egyptian design. It's pr- pretty cool. Uh, and it was, at the time, the largest single room in the world when it was built in 1836. Um, but... The, because it was a flax mill, the humidity had to be maintained pretty cons- consistently from within. And in order to do that, they grew grass on the roof. And in order to keep the grass manageable, they grazed sheep on the grass on the roof. And in order to get the sheep onto the roof, the first ever hydraulic lift was invented. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there you go. Thank, <laughs> thank a sheep next time you're in an elevator. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's truly random. Yep. But there you go. It's about consequences, right? One, one day you try and get a sheep on the roof. The next you're standing at the top of the Burj Khalifa having just been in a lift. <laughs> Butterfly effect. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Well, uh, Nick, thank you so much for, for podding with me today. Thank you, Adam. And happy birthday for, for tomorrow. I hope it's it's pleasant. <laughs> Thanks again. And I will um, I will talk to, to you next time. Um, thank you all so much for listening, and uh, goodbye. Goodbye.